a reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law, will you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. One, the child of the slave, was born according to the flesh. The other, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise. Now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman, in fact, is Hagar from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Now Hagar is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the other woman corresponds to the Jerusalem above. She is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, you childless one, you who bear no children. Burst into song and shout, you who endure no birth pangs. For the children of the desolate woman are more numerous than the children of the one who is married. Now you, my friends, are children of the promise, like Isaac. But just as at that time the child who was born according to the flesh persecuted the child who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her child, for the child of the slave will not share the inheritance with the child of the free woman. So then, friends, we are children, not of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. 
God in heaven, we thank you for a beautiful rainy day to be together. We thank you for the gift of one another, for the gift of your word and your spirit, that you've not left us alone, uh, but that you speak today even by your spirit uh, as we gather together. So would you do just that? Would you speak to us? Would you be growing us and forming us more into the likeness of Jesus so that we may go forth from here as your servants who love you and love our neighbor more deeply? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's the last verse of our passage. And this is the Apostle Paul's pastoral concern for the churches in Galatia. And it's a serious one. It's one we've heard him express numerous times already in various ways. And it's one that we'll hear him elaborate on more fully over the next few weeks. What God has done in Christ and in giving the Spirit, what God is doing now in Christ through the Spirit is about freedom. And if we aren't participating with God in this new liberating thing that he's up to in Christ and in the Spirit, then we're simply reverting to the enslavement from which God sent his Son to rescue us in the first place. And of course, that basic message is relevant for us today, right? Just as it was for the Galatians back when Paul wrote. You know, one of my pastor friends and mentors back in Georgia used to love to say that in Christ, we are no longer struggling to be free, but we are now free to struggle. Free to struggle. And I think that free to struggle life is the one that you and I and everyone we know so desperately needs to know if we are going to actually live faithfully and fruitfully in the world. Free to struggle. It's what, us, it's what allows us to live with our own weaknesses and our doubts and our insecurities and our anxieties and our immaturity, whatever, you name it. It allows us to live with those things in such a way that we're neither crushed by them nor become complacent about them, but rather we can be compassionate toward ourselves and others in the midst of them. Because we're free. We're free from the ultimate power of those things. And of course, that is a different kind of freedom, isn't it? Than many of the other various kinds of freedom that we hear spoken of in our world today. I mean, for example, it's it's a very different freedom from like the, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness freedom. The enlightenment vision of freedom Uh, that sees freedom primarily as the freedom of the individual from external constraints for the purpose of personal fulfillment, right? That's one version of freedom. Another version that we kind of hear that's floating around out there would be like the best life now version, right? The so-called prosperity gospel version of freedom that sees it as, you know, God wants you to be healthy and rich and successful today, so go take what you want It's not free to struggle. That's like freedom from the struggle. It's another very different version. Or perhaps another one that's more similar to the kind uh, of counterfeit freedom that was taking root in Galatia because the snake oil peddlers there were doling this one out. And it's the, the freedom from the other. Right? Freedom that sees liberty as not having to deal too deeply with people who are different from us. A world that sees the population in terms of us and them, and it's a freedom from them. Freedom from loving your neighbor, 
I guess. But none of these is the kind of freedom that has anything to do with the life of Jesus. And it has, and it has nothing to do with life in the Spirit, which is the whole point of like what Paul is arguing in this letter. And the kind of freedom that Paul is longing for among the Galatians, that he wants them to know, that he wants them to experience, is altogether different from those counterfeit versions that we so often hear about and that are offered to us in our world. The freedom Paul wants the Galatians to know is the freedom that Christ himself has won for his people. The freedom that has been unleashed in the world through the Spirit, which is this freedom from the dead-end trajectory of a world that's passing away. It's a freedom from evil and self-centeredness. It's a freedom from sin and death and all the things that ensnare us. Freedom from our own corrupted default settings that are all set to this self-preservation or survival of the fittest default mode, right? And instead, what he's saying is that Christ has entered into that reality, has died under its weight, has risen to new life, has poured out his spirit upon us so that instead we would be set free from all of those things to a new way of life, of loving God and loving neighbor, of being ruled by the one who has made us and loves us rather than being ruled by our bellies. Freed to know God and to be known by God and to experience the fullness of life that comes only through communion with our maker and sustainer and savior. That's the kind of freedom God's people begin to receive and live out of as Christ is formed in us. And Paul says that he feels like he's in the pains of childbirth as he's laboring to, bo- to bring the Galatians along until they're getting this, until they're taking hold of this kind of freedom that is theirs because of the gift of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. And to drive this point home, what he does in verses 21 to 31 is he goes into Bible teacher mode and he presents a rather bizarre-sounding argument from a couple of stories from the Old Testament about Abraham and his family that would have been very, very familiar to the Galatian Christians, especially the ones uh, who had grown up Jewish, were coming from a Jewish background and participating now inside of the church. And what we should acknowledge about these verses, I think, verses 21 to 31, is that they're hard to read. They're hard to read for a number of reasons. One, um, there's some harsh-sounding words in there. Words that are abrasive to our ears and to our cultural or perhaps even moral sensibilities, right? A statement like, throw, throw out the slave and her child. That's a hard thing to hear. That's a hard thing to read. And I think just as we, as we hear those words, it's important to remember what Paul's doing here is he's using stern words to challenge the inner circle in the Galatian churches, the empowered people, the privileged people, the ones who are viewing themselves as better than the others. And he's saying they are the ones who are choosing to live as slaves. They are the ones who become persecutors of the Spirit. And if they keep acting like that, the empowered ones need to be thrown out because they've become toxic to the church. He's not adding insult to injury against the marginalized, but rather this is Paul's direct colorful scolding of those who are doing the work of marginalizing others. 
I think these words are also hard to read because there's some delicate stuff in there that's just simply mentioned, right? As we read through these verses, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's some things that are just mentioned almost like off the cuff, it seems, without being explained or softened in a way that we might prefer. Things like slavery, infertility, paternalistic hierarchies, and abuse of power hard things that trigger all kinds of emotions and memories and whatnot among us as we come and we read these words. And, um, and so these verses are hard to read in that way as well. There's a number of things that makes these verses difficult, but another one I would also say is that it's hard to understand exactly just what in the world Paul is doing with his Bible as we read these stories from Genesis 16 and 21, in light, of, in light of the story of Christ, in light of the gospel, Paul does some seemingly strange things with his Old Testament. And I will just say this, if Paul had gone to the seminary that I went to, he totally would have failed all of his Bible interpretation classes because, you know, his reading is dubious at best, methodologically speaking, for a good modernist Christian's. Of course, Paul is not a good modernist, uh, and he does this kind of allegorical reinterpretation of his Bible, and, uh, and I think one of the things that that challenges us to deal with, maybe, as we engage what the apostles are doing with their Bible and what feels comfortable and okay to us that we might do with ours, perhaps the friction that we feel has something to do with the fact that we've bought into a notion of faith and Bible study that looks a whole lot more like rational certainty than blessed assurance. A whole lot more like the certainty we crave rather than the trust to which God calls us in an actual relationship of freedom and love. Paul's no modernist, which is why what he does with his Bible seems weird to those of us who've drunk that Kool-Aid for the, basically all of our lives. But Paul's method, I think, has something to teach us because what he does is he begins with Jesus himself and he recognizes that what God has done in Christ and in the Spirit is the surprise end of the story. It's the new and unexpected plot twist that is the great answer to all the problems. It's the great answer to all the questions, the ones we thought to ask and the ones we didn't think to ask. And so rather than reading his Bible from like chapter one to the end, Paul reads his Bible from Jesus to whatever. And that all that has come before is prelude to the great climax of what has come in Christ. And so he tells these familiar stories, familiar to the Jewish Christians in Galatia at least, and he does them in sort of a way where he takes like these greatest hits and then what he gives back is like this spaced out remix <laughs> of these greatest hits where you're like, I know this track, but this is different, you know? Um, and, and it's not what you'd expect. And if you don't know those stories, if those are unfamiliar, here's basically in a nutshell the stories from Genesis 16 and 21 that Paul is retelling. God had promised a child to Abram and Sarai, right? Those were their names before they became Abraham and Sarah. Um, but they were really old, like pushing 100, and they hadn't had any success yet in, in having children. And so there gets to this point where Sarai, Abram's wife, encourages him to do what's customary at the time, which is to take a concubine who could give him a child. Um, and that child would be counted then as, as Sarai's own. Okay, and so Abram does this. So he takes Hagar, 
the slave girl as his concubine, and she gets pregnant. And then when Hagar gets pregnant, she decides to rub that in Sarai's face. And in return, Sarai treats Hagar really harshly. And Hagar splits and leaves the house and runs out of town. And then God meets her and says, you should go back. And so she goes back, and it's tense. And then Sarah, her name gets changed by this point, she gets pregnant miraculously at the age of 90 um, because God made a promise. And what God says is that it would be Sarah's child Isaac who would be the one who becomes the heir to the promise. He'd be the special one. God would make the covenant promise with Isaac. Hagar's son Ishmael would still be blessed. God would send him out to the Arabian Peninsula to have a great big family and life would go well with them. But the special kid was Isaac. The promise is going to follow that branch of the family tree. And of course, Isaac went on to be the father of Jacob, who is renamed Israel, and so the story goes, right? But when Paul retells it, he retells it slant, so to speak, through the lens of the story of Christ, where he takes that story in a direction where you really would not expect it to go. And the point he's trying to make as he does this thing with his Bible, uh, as he's, as he, the point he's trying to make to the Galatians is just this. Look, as you read yourselves into the story, don't be so sure of what character it is that you play. You come into this from a place of entitlement, of kind of this presumptuous way of relating to God where your faith rests upon your own family heritage. And so you assume that you're the child of promise in this story. You assume you're the insider. And you know what? You're beginning to relate to those in your community that way, where you're the insider and they're not because of what their family tree is. And so Paul's pushing on them. and He's saying, like, look, you Galatian Christians and the agitators who are stirring this up among you, you are seeing yourselves as privileged and entitled in the church because you're sons of Isaac and not Ishmael. You see yourselves as like the real Christians, so to speak, whose lineage and life habits can be traced back to the special kid, not the cast-out kid. And you see the other ones, these Gentile Christians, whom God has now made one with you in one family. You see them, at best, as like second-class members of the family, right? At best, they're like Abraham's kids, sure, but like through Ishmael, not Isaac. So like they're still second-best. He's saying, look, that's not how you can do life together in the body of Christ. That's not the gift that God has given you. That's not what it looks like to receive the gift and to live into the freedom that is yours. And what he's saying to the Galatians is, hey, look, when you approach God, and when you approach God's people from a posture of pride and entitlement, you actually end up making yourselves the slaves you think you're playing the role of the free one, but you end up playing the role of the slave. And if that's how you're going to do life in the church, you need to get out of here, right? Like your, like your law says, the law you want to keep going back to that says throw out the slave kid. We're going to need to do that with you according to your own rules if you keep living this way in the church. Because that's toxic to the life that we're called to cultivate together in the body of Christ. We've been called to freedom, not slavery. But of course, what Paul wants is not that they would leave. 
Even better, what Paul wants is that they would repent of this way of living away from one another and as a result living away from God. He wants them to receive the gift afresh and to begin to live into the freedom that is now theirs. He wants to see them stay and grow and take up life in the Spirit together with their sisters and their brothers who are their equals and their siblings in the family of God. He wants to to see them live into their actual role in the story. Not the one they think that they're playing, not the one they think their neighbor's playing, but the actual one God has given them in Christ, which is the role of being God's children, known and loved by God, empowered by his spirit, organized around his son, and set loose in the world to be the instrument of blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Paul says, look, you've been set free in Christ Don't go back and live as slaves as if the whole Christ and the Spirit thing never happened. That would be so tragic. So tragic. As you think about our own lives and how we pull this story toward ourselves, as we pull this lesson that Paul is teaching into our own moment, in our own situation that's very different, I think there's something really deeply instructive for us as well. You know, what What role in the story is yours? As you think about the story of what God is doing in the world, what's your place in the story? We're so so used to thinking of the story of my own life and how does God fit into it, right? But but let let the focus shift. And instead of looking at simply at the story of our own lives and asking how does God fit, let's look at the story God is telling and ask where we fit. What role has God given you to play in the great drama of what he's doing in the world? A drama that centers around his son Jesus and is enlivened by his very spirit. Well, what Paul tells us in this letter is that the role that he's given you and the role that he's given me is the role of his child. The role of the one who is known by God, loved by God, and called to know God called to participate with Jesus and the Spirit in this work of reconciliation and and wholeness and to take up this life of freedom for which we've been set free. You're no longer struggling to be free, but you're free to struggle. What does that mean? What does it mean to be free to struggle? How is that good news for us? What are the things that you struggle with, and all the, all the vain ways that you and I struggle to be free, right, is we try to carve out a life by our own efforts, an identity, a vocation, a world, the kinds of tyranny that we live under, whether it's self-imposed or other-imposed, all the ways that we just try to carve out a life in which we're okay, we feel okay about things, we're secure, our future is secure, the ways in which we lean into money or into uh, relationship networks or things that we try to use for our own gain, all those ways that when we play into that self-preservation or self-actualization instinct, what are all those ways that we struggle to be free, that if we could just begin to hear that good news, you're free, that the tyranny of those things would begin to dissipate in our lives, that harsh, critical voice that keeps chirping at you from over your shoulder would just be hushed. And the loving voice of your father who says, you're mine, 
would become louder and louder and more real and more plausible. And that out of that freedom, you'd begin to live toward others, not out of a dog-eat-dog mentality where it's like, if I don't win, I'm going to lose, so I have to beat you. But instead, it's like, Jesus has won the battle, so I get to just love you. The freedom that compels us forward into a life of love that looks like the love of God toward us in Christ, that looks like the self-sacrifice of a life marked by the way of the cross, and a hope that looks like the empty tomb, the future of God that is promised to those who walk in the way of the cross. That it's not about self-preservation, it's about entrusting ourselves to the God who knows and loves us and has promised to raise up all those who live this life of freedom in and with his son. Can you think about how that sort of freedom would completely reorient you in your relationships with one another, in your families, in your careers, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods? All those places where the fear of what if I get run over becomes muted so that you just get to go and lay down your life for one's friends, which Jesus says is the greatest form of love that there is. It is for freedom that God has set you free in Christ. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, but instead go forth in the Spirit to love God and one another in fellowship with our Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ. Make it real to us, we pray. We pray that you would plant the seed of your word deep in our hearts and water it with your spirit, that we would grow strong and mature in Christ, that we would live freely as those who've been released from all these traps that we set for ourselves and that others set for us, but instead that we would go forth into your world as those loved by you, freed by you, and willing to take up a life of love in and with your son Jesus. Do this work in us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.